and welcome to Mostly Grateful, the podcast where we talk about gratitude, sometimes with a little bit of attitude. My name is Joel Zuckerman. I'm the author of the book, Grateful. My website is gratitudetiger.com, where I endeavor to get speaking gigs, to teach people about proactive gratitude. And speaking about proactive gratitude, I am proactively grateful to have my friend and very entertaining and interesting healer with me today here, another Park City friend of mine. Her name is Autumn Bear. Autumn has a tremendous story that she's going to share with us. And for the first time in the brief history of this podcast, we are going to have a second guest, a man who I have just met and happens to be a good friend of Autumn's. They are uniquely connected and his name is Javi Bousquet. So let me welcome Autumn and then Javi. Autumn, how are you doing? I'm good, Joel. Thank you. Thank you for coming. And Javi, thank you for taking time. Javi, you are in New York, am I correct? Yes, I am. And thank you for having me. My pleasure. And I think it's a great idea. And of course, a shout out to my producer, Noah Lusky, known as the boy genius, who has the technical expertise to put the three of us together. So let's talk about, we'll start with Autumn. Autumn and I met socially, but I quickly became a patient of hers. She is a highly regarded acupuncturist. And whenever I meet a Caucasian acupuncturist, I always had, I know that's politically incorrect. I'm sorry, I'm not woke. I'm sorry, I'm not woke. But I'm always curious how a girl from the suburbs, so to speak, becomes an acupuncturist. And I know you once told me that you began your career or one of your early interests was dance. So tell the listeners, Autumn, a little bit about your dance background and how you came into the healing arts, specifically acupuncture. Well, I was actually always really interested in science and health in particular was really my focus. And when I was Doing my undergrad work in Arizona, I was specifically studying exercise physiology with an emphasis on high altitude training. And I quickly realized once I had gone through the program that I didn't really want to be a lab rat. So I thought, okay, I'll just, I'll, I'll keep looking. I'm sure there's something for me. And so I started working on my master's in public health. I was really interested in epidemiology and the study of disease. But I realized also quite quickly after doing that program that I didn't want to be a government servant. And so I found myself a little bit lost, to be quite honest. But I, I took some time to travel and I came back and I was quite sick after traveling in, in South America for the better part of a couple of months. And so when I came home, a friend of mine said, you should try acupuncture. And you have to realize this is back in the 90s when acupuncture was barely legal in the U.S. It wasn't particularly popular in the West. Um, so I, I did. I found an acupuncturist. I, I really fell in love with it. And at that time, and this is when I was probably maybe 24-ish, I was really considering going to acupuncture school. And I had looked into school and put some applications in. And I had been dancing just as for fun. And I had an opportunity to dance professionally in New York. And so I thought, I'm never really going to have an opportunity to do this again. So I put acupuncture on hold and I remained a patient for 10 years while I was dancing professionally. And, and then I woke up one day and I was like, okay, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And I was living in New York at this time and decided that acupuncture, I was going to give it another shot. And I ended up finding 
this really incredible Taoist master who I ended up studying with for many years. And Sam, rest- let me interrupt you. Let me interrupt you. Because yeah. I'm like a dog with a bone, I, one bone in one corner, and then I drop it and I see a toy in the other corner. Before I forget my train of thought, what type of dancing were you doing professionally? I was a swing and salsa dancer. Swing and salsa dancer. Okay. Yeah. And professionally, you were working, doing what exactly? Swinging and salsa in. Yes. So I, I taught I taught a lot of social dance lessons, and then I, I would compete. There's all kinds of competitions around the globe, and so I'd do a lot of competitions. And, and then periodically, I'd have something pop up for a show, and we'd do shows. And it was a, a smattering of things, but yeah, as most dancers do. Okay, understood. And you came to acupuncture because you were first a patient before yes. you became a healer. Is that correct? That's right. It's interesting because I have known three acupuncturists in my life, two of them white American women, and both of them, we had an acupuncturist back in the day in Savannah. Her name was Fawn, and she was traveling, I think, in Asia and got very sick. And the only thing that could heal her was acupuncture. So just, it's such a similar story to what you just told me, that she used acupuncture to get well and developed an interest and became an acupuncturist herself. So I guess if it happened to Fawn and it happened to Autumn, it probably has happened to many other American-born acupuncturists. You think that's a fair statement? Yeah, I I actually have a few people who um, were patients of mine who ended up going to acupuncture school after having acupuncture. So I think the thread continues. I think people find it really fascinating and, and the experience is pretty unique. And I think you find something like that, you go for it. Well, I'll tell you what, I've never thought about it in terms of acupuncture, but I know for a fact, having loitered around many a yoga studio and even a couple of <laughs> Pilates studios, that the patient, the uh, student becomes the teacher. I, I think I know at my own Pilates studio, a number of the teachers started off as students. So I never followed that thread all the way to acupuncture, but I guess it makes sense. And so you went to acupuncture school in New York. And I remember you telling me, or I recently read that one of your primary teachers is an 88th generation acupuncturist or healer. That's right. Yep. 88 generation. It is incredible. That's mind boggling. I don't know how many centuries. How does, how do they even, how do they even track something like that? Yeah. I don't know. So the history is very long. Acupuncture really was around before the written word. So this is this has been an oral tradition before even some of the tracking methods were in practice. You have we know for sure that it's been around for at least five thousand years, but beyond that, I'm I don't know. But for sure, five thousand years at least. And you met this gentleman in New York, and you studied under him, and eventually became an acupuncturist. And I know that you ended up teaching in. France and in Russia. Yep. All the places in New York. I taught there too. Yeah. Yeah. And tell us before we bring Javi into the conversation, you give us a little bit about for there, there are a lot of people who have heard of acupuncture. They don't know what it is, but give us a very quick tutorial on what the needles and in some cases explain what cupping is and a couple of the treatments that you do and who they benefit, 
who will find better health and more robust health by having a regular treatment of acupuncture or cupping or some of the other specialties that you've learned over the years? I think the biggest thing that I always got out of learning acupuncture is that acupuncture is really all about longevity. So the whole premise of acupuncture and what they would really call now East Asian medicine is designing an experience so that you're able to age more gracefully with less disease over time. It's one thing to reach 100, but if you're not, if you don't have a good quality of life, then the point of reaching 100 is null and void. So the idea is to try to give you a good quality of life over time and diminish the amount of diseases that plague you as aging happens. And aging is the inevitable, but there are ways to essentially slow aging and acupuncture is one of those things. Acupuncture is something that I, a lot of people don't understand how it works, but even more, they don't even understand what you use it for. In, in modern era, we see a lot of patients for pain. I treat patients for everything from anxiety and depression, autoimmune diseases, chronic pain, of course, but my specialty is in traumatic brain injuries and what they would call autonomic dysfunction. And I work, interestingly, a lot on long COVID, which looks exactly like a traumatic brain injury in a lot of ways. Let me ask so, you a, let me ask you a specific question. Yeah. And this is for and I'm someone who as I don't love acupuncture. I love mm -hmm. being around you, but I don't like being stuck with needles. Explain Fair. for people who have never gone to an acupuncturist what the insertion of needles does mm. to your nervous system or to your uh, physiology that allows you to treat long COVID or traumatic brain injuries or autoimmune disease. Just briefly and not in, in layman's terms, how does the needle affect your system? So there's 12 channels that run bilaterally along the body in various different places. And along those channels are an accumulation of about 365 points. And those points are considered to be energetic points that that elicit a response when you insert a needle into them. So, you know, we have a ton of electrical impulses in the body. Electrical impulses are created for muscle movement, heart rhythms, the things that run our brain have electrical impulses. So you're essentially inserting a metal object into very specific points to try and manipulate the body's reactivity in hopes of getting a very specific response from that. So the idea is really you're manipulating energy through metal, which is a conductor of energy. But I always tell people we have to follow the same rules of physics as everybody else. You cannot create or destroy energy. You can only transform it. And that's what we do. We transform energetic points to elicit different responses. You know, how that happens, I think everybody's still trying to figure that out. I'm not sure anybody really knows, but it works. And it's been around for so long. Like, I was talking to someone the other day and they were saying the level of anesthetic we had around the Civil War in the United States was something akin to Listerine. Right. Whereas the Chinese have been working on this system for over 5,000 years, well before, before the Civil War and had all these systems already in place. So they had figured something out really unique. Modern science is doing a lot of research on acupuncture and it's finding really interesting results. Everything from regulation of sleep cycles 
to reduction of pain sensory. It looks at how it calms the neurological system, oxygenates the muscles, circulates blood. It's pretty impactful. Well, I'll tell you this. I have relaxed a little bit. Acupuncture can be relaxing. I don't love the insertion of the needles. They, For those who have never done it, it's a little prick. It's not, it's much less than getting a shot, a flu shot or any type of vaccine. But once the needles are in, it is very relaxing. And why I have a love-hate relationship with the practice, my wife, Elaine, and my daughter, Kayla, absolutely love acupuncture and they will immediately fall asleep on the table. So just in that regard, people find it very beneficial. And I'm sure many, if not most of your clients, feel similarly, especially when you put the heat lamp on them and it's it's a narcotic effect. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're a f- fabulous conversationalist, but once it's like when it's like when you have that first chit chat with your massage therapist. And then okay, it's time to just settle down and enjoy that sensation. I find it similar with acupuncture. You and I chat, chat, chat while you check my pulses. And while the needles are going in, but then it's time to, to snooze and check out for those 20 or 30 minutes. So anyway, it's, it, I've always been fascinated by it. And so many people don't know that much about it. I appreciate you giving us a little bit of insight. And you are you consider yourself a healer. And our other guest, Javi, certainly considers you a healer. Javi, welcome to Mostly Grateful. The time that your first encounter with Autumn is one of the most memorable occasions of your life. Although I guess the moment you met her, you he weren't aware. Dead. You weren't <laughs> you weren't aware of what happened. Yeah. The so... moment the moment I met her was a few days after <laughs> she actually met me. So yeah. be- before Autumn tells us how you met, tell us you're from Spain. Are you from Barcelona? Uh, no, my family's actually from a small city called Zaragoza, Zaragoza, so it's relatively close to both cities. And you were living in New I was York? Born in, I was born in Brooklyn, though. Okay, so you were you living in New York your whole life, and how old were you when you met, when you met Autumn during the incident we're about to discuss? Yes, I was uh, born and raised in New York. I was about 18, actually, a, a week after my 18th birthday. And when, was, and when was this? September 2009. Okay. So we're, we're talking about 13, 14 years ago and you were athletic. You were very I was running for the cross country team, actually. uh, The best runner on the cross country team. What cross country team was that? For my college is a St. Joseph's college in Clinton Hill in Brooklyn. Okay. So you were in Prospect Park? Fort Green Park, actually. Fort Green Park. Go off. I don't let the the facts get in the way of a good story. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for Fort Green Park in Brooklyn. <laughs> and were you running, walking, skipping? Yeah, we, myself and the rest of the team, we were running, we were training. We were doing hills, actually, which is where you sprint up a hill and then jog back down, which is a high-intensity training to build up for cross-country racing. So it was in the middle of that when the incident occurred. And who should describe the incident, you or Autumn? Autumn was there conscious for the incident. I was, I was told about the incident. All right. So Javi, you tell us what you were told after the fact, what was the incident? And then we will bring 
our favorite healer back into the story. Yes, definitely my favorite healer. I was training with the team and I was running the hills, like I mentioned before. And again, this is what uh, I was told after by my teammates. It appears that I fell, got up again, fell, got up again. And on the third time I collapsed and I did not get up. At this point, I was ahead of the team. So my teammates were like wondering if I was joking around or not, like just try act like I can run faster than them. So they like didn't worry too much until finally they realized I wasn't getting up. So they tried shaking me and waking me up. And then from what I'm told, this is where Autumn was walking her newly adopted dog, actually, at the time and saw a weird couple in a weird spot and kind of approached them. So that's an odd place for them to be. And she got near and saw that actually we were in distress and she jumped into action. From what I hear, she commanded one person, hey, you call 911, you do this. And at that and right then and there, she jumped into giving me CPR and mouth to mouth which is gross for me because I had just fallen in, from what I hear, she'll tell you better, but I've just fallen into a pile of dirt. So my lips were all covered in dirt. So she like wiped my lips and started giving me CPR and mouth to mouth until the EMS came, the ambulance came into the park and they were able to load me up. And they didn't take me to the hospital, which is located right next to the park. Actually took me to a further hospital, Long Island College Hospital, uh, sorry, Long Island College Hospital, which had at the time more of a state-of-the-art chamber to reduce like a cryo chamber almost to reduce your body temperature and the ambulance drivers knew about this technology so they took me there they're really good about the cardiac unit that they have over there and then that's where they continued they put my body down into a medically induced coma for three days and then they started to wake me up from the coma they gave my parents very grim hopes they told them there was a very little chance i would survive and if i did i would have memory loss or permanent memory loss because i was without oxygen to the brain for so long and, but slowly but surely, I started recovering in the hospital. I started off with temporary brain um, loss, like memory loss, but I was able to recuperate all that and able to keep all my faculties, luckily. So tell me this before we bring Autumn in. You were born in Brooklyn. Your parents are originally from Spain, but they were with you over here? Uh, my dad is from Spain. My mom is actually from Dominican Republic, but they were both here, yes. Okay. All right. Autumn, right place, right time. For Javi, more than anyone in the anyone else, <laughs> yeah. what were you doing in the park? You were just, did you live in that area and you were walking your dog and you came upon this odd looking scene? Why don't you take over the story? So I had, I'd adopted a dog two days prior. And so typically it wasn't my routine to be in the park at all, but I had gotten this dog and I was in the very last semester of acupuncture school. So I was actually about to go to class. I was just going to walk the dog quickly and then head into the city. So I come around this corner and there's this, these two guys that are in this spot. It is a really awkward spot, mostly because there's this hill. It's like full of grass. It's really beautiful, lots of trees. And they were sitting in this kind of dirt path where people throw like glass and chicken bones. And like, it's not, it's definitely not a spot you would expect people to be sitting in. And, um, so I thought it was just weird. And then as I, I came up closer, um, there was a young man who was holding Javi. Do you remember his name, Javi? Yeah, his name is Ed Hahn. Yeah. So I, and I actually never saw him act after this, I don't think. But so he was holding Javi and he was like hitting his face. And I could tell by the color in Javi's face that something was really wrong. Like the color of his skin was really wrong. So I ran over and laid him down. And when we're in acupuncture school, we're required to be licensed in first aid and CPR. And I had 
I think I had done the, my renewal, my certificate renewal, maybe like a couple weeks before. So it was all pretty fresh in my head. And so I laid him down. I hand my dog and my phone to someone and I tell them to call 911. And this was like one of those moments where I was like, oh, shit. I was like, this is, I don't know, this is not happening. Like, it doesn't seem real. So I check his pulse on his neck and there's no pulse. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, this is, it really seems so, so out of body experience. So I was like, okay. And so I, I listened for his breathing. He's not breathing. And I was like, I just, I'm so overwhelmed by what's happening. And I can't believe this is actually, and, and it's real. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to hope that I didn't misread his breathing or his heart rate. And I checked multiple times and nothing there. So I start chest compressions. And the crazy part is that as soon as I start chest compressions, his, all of his ribs pop. They were just like, so, you know, of course I'm like, oh my God, I'm like going to kill this kid. And he's so young. And I was like, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. So I start chest compressions and he had a bunch of, he did have a lot of dirt on his face. So I was wearing a scarf because it was a little chilly out. And so I wiped his face off and I started mouth to mouth. And there's this kind of this crowd that started to, to form, but nobody jumped in to help me. They all just stood there and there's a lot of commentary. And then Javi would sometimes gasp for air. They call it a death gasp where the body is trying to regain faculties, but it was just struggling. So he would, and I was like, oh my God, okay, it's working. And then it would stop. So I was doing this and you lose track of time. It's not something, you know, because your adrenaline's going and you're all caught up in the minute. So it, it felt like it went very quickly. They told me that I ended up doing CPR on Javi for about six minutes. And the ambulance that came was not actually the ambulance that was dispatched because there's a hospital close by. This was an ambulance that happened to be driving by and they saw me doing CPR and they and so they pulled into the park. And so that's how we ended up having the emergency services there so quickly. Just so crazy. So tell me this, bottom line, what happened? Javi, what did you, what were you overcome with? What was the diagnosis? So, uh, or funny enough, uh, I still go to the cardiologist every three months because there is, <clears throat> there was no diagnosis. Uh, officially, it's a cardiac arrest, just some misfiring. And it happens to a lot of athletes, actually. I don't know if you keep up with some certain athletes, but like LeBron James' son actually recently just suffered a cardiac arrest in a very similar fashion. Soccer players, it happens a lot. It's just, I think it happens in young athletes when they push themselves too hard. Some theories were maybe dehydration. It could be a big issue. Like I wasn't well hydrated enough and there was like an electrolyte misbalance. There was also maybe it could be like just strenuous activity or overthinking. Some people even concluded it could have been like anxiety induced or like it, it could be many factors, but point cases. I wear a defibrillator now inside. I have one attached and I just go to the checkup every three months to monitor and there's never really been an incident since. So it was like one of those crazy fluke accidents, unfortunately. I understand. I know all about Bronny James and I happen to be a cardiac patient myself. I happen to be going to the cardiologist tomorrow. Oh, although, wow. <laughs> although I don't have a, I don't have a defibrillator <laughs> and I was my problems came in middle age, I, but I do know that uh, it does happen to young athletes. So before we get to the big finale, the conclusion, which is so cool, was that the end of your cross-country racing, running career, or have you, did you continue once you recovered? 
My cardiologist was uh, pretty strict. So like the first year after that, she really wanted to limit all my activity, but I was an 18 year old at the time. And the only thing I really knew how to do was sports and running and everything. So like I, they, she couldn't contain me. She didn't want me to continue running. So I had to find different ways to stay active. So I joined the tennis team and the volleyball team to continue doing sports. But I had to design my own makeshift defibrillator protector because her biggest concern was that a ball would hit it. So I, my first edition of this defibrillator protector was to use a sports cup and bandage it up <laughs> around my chest. Oh, and sound, then, sounds sexy. You know, it, gets, it gets sexier because then I borrowed my girlfriend's a sports bra for a quick bandage wrap because this was faster to secure the sports cup in place than using a bandage every single time. So I was able to use a sports bra to bandage it up there. And then the, my final iteration of this uh, product was I used a, a shotgun recoil protector and kind of cut out a hole in the inside so that it fit perfectly around the defibrillator. And that was able to be a much more glamorous. <laughs> I'll have to say, since the podcast is called Mostly Grateful, I'm sure you were grateful you were done up like this in New York City, because if you were doing it in Iowa or in Montana, it might have led to some problems with the locals. But in New York, oh, I know anything goes. Definitely mostly grateful. This podcast is originally named for me, I must expect, because I was like the most grateful day of my life. They said I won the lottery like seven times in a row because Adam said she was performing CPR six minutes. They said it's one more minute before the ambulance gets there and I would have been brain dead. And luckily enough, the ambulance knew to take me to the right hospital. So that was another lottery winning there. Luckily enough, they were able to induce the coma. Luckily enough, I was able to come out of the coma. So it was a lot of grateful situations. So if anybody is mostly grateful, it's me. You, you have some ink on your bicep. Oh, Tell yeah. the listeners what is on your, what is, on, I'm not your bicep, on your shoulder. Yeah, oh. yeah. So I got a tattoo after my wedding, actually. I got married in 2016 and I actually danced my mother's son dance with Autumn at my wedding because she is my mother after that day. She was, she became my mother. That was very important. And uh, on my arm, I have autumn leaves around a silhouette of a bear, a bear face, a very motherly looking bear because <laughs> she is my autumn bear. And then I have the date and the coordinates there as well of that's, the day to happen in the park. So amazing. And but luckily was, her name was Autumn Bear because God forbid it was a different name. I would I, have had a terrible tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> lucky she's not Lucky she's not held a gold farb. That would have not been <laughs> nearly. And meanwhile, I was texting with Autumn's husband not long ago, like not long ago, like an hour ago. And he said, be sure to ask Javi about his children. So Javi, I wouldn't have thought to ask you this, but tell me about your children. How many do you have and what are their names? Yeah, so I have two sons and um, I've always wanted to have a daughter to name her Autumn uh, because like I said, I was like beyond grateful is not even a word I could use to determine like she saved my life. So like I'm eternally grateful. Uh, so my first son, we named Kodiak um, because it was connected. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Guy. I get it. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Some people I got to explain that one to. So you're sharp. So. <laughs> I get it. And then my second son, we named Oliver, middle name Bear. His name is Oliver Bear. Wow. How wonderful. And Miss Autumn, grateful that you were wandering with your mutt through the park at that moment in time because you've devoted your life to the healing arts and You've probably never been in a situation that was so dramatic and so literally life or death as you were at that moment with Javi. Do you want to know something ironic? 
It happened to me more than once. Oh boy. You know. I, yeah, I know. It I I had a guy in Park City uh who had a seat. I've come upon two people who have had seizures. Uh, also, so I don't know if I'm like if I'm like a good magnet or a not good magnet. I'm not really sure, but I have also come upon two other people who have had big events and the reason why the last the guy in Park City that happened this was a couple years ago he was swimming in a pool and he had a seizure and and I so I ended up running to a pool to help pull him out while he was having a seizure and call the paramedics and all that kind of stuff but I have actually believe it or not I know this doesn't happen to very many people but it has happened to me probably four times not to this extent but three seizures and and a cardiac arrest all in my fun time as they say you never forget your first so <laughs> sorry yeah, that's right. yeah. sorry about that you now my opinion of you has changed now you seem like a witchy woman i don't know if we should <laughs> no, i don't know around. but it it is wild but i have to say the thing about this whole occurrence right so in that moment in time right i think there's a couple things that that really stuck out for me from this whole story one after the ambulance left and I was just standing there and it was like there was like a tear in the fabric of time right so it was like this big thing happened and then all of a sudden all the people disappeared and Javi's off you know going to some hospital and I'm standing there with my dog as if she's just ready to go for the rest of her walk <laughs> it was like one of those things where it was really strange but I ended up giving my phone number to one of his friends that was there running. And I, and I knew that the chances were not good. Like, we didn't know what was happening. But by all intents and purposes, the paramedics told me before they left, they were able to get his heart started. But I knew that, that didn't necessarily mean he was in the clear. And I didn't even know what his name was. Like, we were complete strangers at that time. So I gave my phone number to his friend and I said, listen, if he survives, can somebody just call me and tell me? Because I, I really want to know. You're, I'm invested, right? I really want to make sure this kid's okay. And about, I would say probably about an hour later, Javi's mom calls me. And, I'm, and I was like, it was a number I didn't know. And I answered the phone and say, hello. And, and she says, this is Concepcion Bosque and I am the mom of the young man that they just brought to the hospital. And I was a little surprised because this is one of those things where she's got this kid who's in the hospital who's, who died and is trying to revive him and all these things. And she she took time in that moment to call me and just say, and she said to me, and it like, every time it gets me because now I'm a mom and Javi's a dad and there's there's so much that goes into the health and wellness of your children. And she just said, I just... We don't know if he's going to survive, but I just want to say thank you. That's incredible. When did this happen? What month? It was September 29th. It was the day after my birthday. And where did you celebrate that Christmas? That Christmas. So after Javi, so I went to the hospital like three days later, they called me and they were like, they're going to take him off the medication. And so his parents had kept me like informed and like his coach and I had all these people calling me. So they said, do you want to come to the hospital? They're going to wake him up. And I was like, of course I want to come to the hospital. And so I come and all these people from Spain were there. It was the, the whole like ward, whatever floor he was on, there was like the entire Bosque family. And you have to realize that Javi's dad is one of 10. 
right? He's one of 10, right? And his mom is also one of 10. So like the extension of family is absolutely enormous. And so I come in and we, and Javi and I get to meet for the first time. And so I don't know, I guess he got out of the hospital maybe a couple days later. And then his parents called me and they were like, listen, we would like to invite you for Christmas in Spain because that's we're going to all go to Spain and celebrate. And obviously, this is a, a big deal for Javi and for the family. And so I spent that Christmas with the entire Spanish Bosque family. And on September 29th, where had you been planning on spending Christmas? In Schenectady or Utica or wherever you're from? <laughs> I don't think I had any plans, to be honest. I think I was just going to go hang out with my parents. But everybody understood. And off you went to Spain to celebrate with the the young man and his family, the young man whose life you saved. Incredible story. And you live in perpetuity on Javi's shoulder. Yes. You live in perpetuity with with the name Kodiak and with his younger brother, Oliver Bear. But you know what? The thing that's even better than that is that from that day forward, our whole families became family, right? Like I've been to every wedding. They've they watched my kids when I was just had kids because we only lived maybe a couple miles apart in Brooklyn. And his family became my family. And we had we took the kids. We were just in in um, New York in August and Javi, who now works at the Bronx Zoo, We got to all go with his son and his wife and my kids. We all got to go to the animals and feed the giraffes. And so we, beyond anything else, like we we inherited this incredible connection, but we inherited a whole bunch of friends and family. (laughs) It's such a wonderful story. And I don't even have to waste any time asking you what you're grateful for, Miss Autumn. And Javi has made it abundantly clear (laughs) what he is grateful for. And I am grateful that I've had the chance to hear this story. I've heard it, Javi, in bits and pieces from Autumn. I'll do anything to delay getting the needles put in. So I'll say, (laughs) tell me about the kid in the park. Tell me about the kid in the park again. But I haven't heard the story in its entirety and obviously not from your perspective. And it's really wonderful. I'm sorry to interrupt, but another thing that I wanted to say. I'm also grateful for is Autumn and I actually have talked about like sitting down and actually talking this story out loud, like with both our inputs and like having it recorded so that we can listen back through it through the years. And we never actually had the opportunity to do it. So this podcast right here, you have no idea also how grateful I am that we were recording this because now this is going to get shared with my family and like in Spain, <laughs> like my parents have been begging for us to have a story so that they can like re-listen to it and like like just keep and cherish. So this is also something that I'm very grateful for. Well, that's, I'm grateful too, because Noah, my producer is listening and now we're going to get paid as we shoot up the ranks of podcasts. <laughs> I think we're both in line for a dime or maybe 12 cents each. He knows the, he knows the analytics better than I, but if I had known that the, Bus- the Bosque family had 10 <laughs> aunts and uncles on each side, you would have been my first guest this season instead of my third. <laughs> to be, to build up my audience. <laughs> All right, right, guys, you are both incredible. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. And I appreciate Miss Autumn Bear, Mr. Javi Bousquet, being on episode three of season two of Mostly Grateful. Thanks, guys. It's really a pleasure. Thank Thanks, you. Joel. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye.